everybody and welcome to episode 10 of the World Hoppers podcast. I am Cheyenne and I am here with my co-hosts Alphantina and Alana. Alpha's back, finally. Yay, uh, and finally. Today, we will be, today we will be discussing the Emperor, so we will be avoiding spoilers for all of the Cosmere. And for those of you listening in the future, the Cell sequels haven't been published yet, so don't worry about spoilers for those either. Yep, we have no idea when those will be coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have no idea, but I did think that it was like an important disclaimer for this and the Elantris episode because... Oh, definitely. The timeline has been so weird on these, so... Yeah, and Branderson writes really fast. Yeah, he just has a lot to do. <laughs> One minute pass yeah. and you have like seven new books coming out next month. Uh, if only it were that quick. Like, we could get the next, like, three Stormlight thens. No, this year we got a lot. Psychonic, we got Lux, we got the Skyward novellas. Yeah. Yeah, this year and being then, 2021. Just to next year that. we should be getting, hopefully... Um, Lost Metal. The Lost Metal, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's I am right. so excited for that Yeah, one. Th- there are so many questions that I have in regards to that now. Oh, yeah. Especially considering our last episode. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard our last episode, first of all, what are you doing here? Go listen to that one. But we had Drew McCaffrey from the Inking Out Loud podcast on, and he is a beta reader who has already read Lost Metal. And we kind of, we, we came close to discussing things. And then he was like, oh, I, I can't mention it. And so Shy and I were just sitting there like, what, what, what was it what, you were going to say? Do, do you want to, do you want to give us a hint? Like anything? Yeah. So yeah, we had a lot of fun. I mean, even without that, like the reactions from uh, Dragon Steel, uh, Brandon said that Dragon Steel are all like really, really happy with the book. And they all say it's going to be crazy. So I am very excited for that. Yeah. So today we are dealing with Emperor's Soul. So do we want to just kind of jump right into it? Yes. Yeah. So just quick, for those of you, you should know what Emperor's Soul is, honestly. <laughs> But <laughs> for those of you that it's haven't a read it, it's a novella set on Cell, the planet of Elantris, <laughs> and it follows Shai, a forger from the Maipon uh, region of the Rose Empire. And it, it also won a Hugo, as like completely deserved. It's an amazing novella. Hugo Award, that's huge. Not my favorite of Brandon's, <laughs> and I don't think it's his best. That goes to Rhythm of War, in my opinion. But I mean, you can't really compare a novella to like Rhythm of War. <laughs> yeah, but it's still like amazing quality and one of like the best like short fiction things he's ever done. Even if it isn't that short. Oh yeah, come on, <laughs> oh, it my is gosh. very yeah. short. This is a real I novella, mean... not like secret history. <laughs> I don't know about word count for this. But, like, it is short. But I, either way, I think Brandon could short. still review the definition of a novella before he writes another one. <laughs> there, it's yeah. getting a bit excessive at this point. <laughs> it's 30,000, no, 32,000 words, roughly. Okay, yeah, so it is a novella. Yeah. yeah. Called a novella, and it is a novella. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's funny because I asked Jancy about uh, the fact that the Skyward novellas aren't novellas either. <laughs> Uh, by word count mm-hmm. during uh, the stream she did a couple of months ago with Brandon and she said that like it isn't only a Brandon problem that she herself like also contributed to those being as long as they are which isn't huh. nearly as long as like Darn Shard or that's nice of her one of those but <laughs> oh my gosh oh yeah, good news Jancy for is amazing paying attention I finally finished Dawn Shard Yay. like a few days ago <laughs> I have <laughs> just, so it much only to took me about a year. To. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so that'll be a fun episode. <laughs> the thing you have to do is go and read the word of Brandon that he released like mm. a few days after the book was out. Okay, it's I will do go read that whole Q&A. It's a Hoyt-related word of Brandon, so yeah. Oh very short oh and very no. juicy. <laughs> go read all that. Okay, I, I will add that to the other like list of stuff I have to do at the bottom of this page. Anyway. But okay, back to Emperor's Soul. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's beautifully written. I mean, I wasn't aware that Brandon was able to write so beautifully until I read this book. And it's actually at the beginning of our canon Unbounded, so it's a great opening. Very, very yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, Brandon a lot of times focuses on this like transparent prose style is very Orwellian prose but this yeah. one is far more poetic mm-hmm. than his other works and it is definitely beautiful and it's also very philosophical which we'll get into which is uh, my later. favorite yeah. thing about it <laughs> so yeah there's, there's a definitely lot to discuss here not much happens short. but there's a lot to talk about right yeah. 
I mean, this is a story that mostly happens or you mostly get to know by reading the dialogues between two characters and the main characters like look into a room and we know we have the context now 2021 what it is to be in lockdown oh god and the fact that we don't need to relive that (laughs) yeah but we now we can kind of say that we understand the struggles of someone who is isolated and the need of like moving stuff around changing your spaces your environment even a little bit so it's Mm -hmm. interesting to think about that in this context Absolutely. I think we might have already done a quick summary, but I'll put this here in case we didn't. So the emperor was attacked by assassins. His wife was killed, which we never really actually talk about any further in the book. Like, that's a very small mention. Which is funny considering how many times she comes up in Who's That's Cosmic Character. Yeah. (laughs) So she's killed, and he's struck in the head with a crossbow arrow, or crossbow Bolt. bolt, thank you, and survives. And so they have a kind of flesh forger try to fix him but he's kind of brain dead at this point and so they bring in shy who's about to be executed for supposedly forging a painting no no no. she stole the moon scepter as well right yes she supposedly forged a painting and then she stole the moon scepter and they bring her in to try and like forge a like forgery of his soul basically so that they can continue having control of the throne because they think another faction organized this and so then we follow the like next 101 days that she has to forge this like copy of the emperor and try to make it work (laughs) try to actually make him seem like himself yeah this is a fascinating concept it opens up so many different discussions that we could have but just starting with the fact that the political thing that they need to keep having control of this figure that is the leader of the empire then the fact about they needing his soul that's mm-hmm. a very strong word the soul they need the they need his soul to be like recreated forged brought back question mark mm-hmm. i mean i love this like starting point of the novella. I just think it's amazing that they start with this. But there are, yeah. there are many things that you can see like happening a lot in Brandon's stories and this war between houses or factions or political like, yeah, I'd say factions. This happens a lot, don't you think? We see that in mm-hmm. several stories and it's like a resource that he uses a lot. But in this story, it's just like just a resource to make the thing yeah. happen. It's not it, like it's a tool to set the story up, but it's not right. actually yeah. important to the follow through of the story. Yeah, but I like that he he has these things that he always uses but in different ways to have different results. So the faction war is the first thing and the subterfuge and politicking that has to take place in the court is another one of those resources that he uses so basically we don't get to see like first-handedly a lot of these discussions but we know that these are happening behind yeah. the walls that tries locked in yeah yeah she's kept in an isolated room and not allowed to leave because a blood forger has like put a thing on the door mm-hmm. so like she is stuck there for a hundred days yeah and each chapter is named as the day after the day yeah, yeah. after mm-hmm. the day in which the stuff that you read are happening so this is kind of like being inside of the main character's mind even if you like don't get a first first person narration in this story you are kind of seeing stuff from her perspective so you really get to appreciate how insightful she is because Everything I said about these factions or these political people having discussions, dealing with the effects of the emperor hiding, because they can show that the emperor was in a vegetative state, so... Yeah, he's kind of indisposed at the moment to the court. Oh, yeah. Like, he's not available. (laughs) And we get everything just by the way that Shai, the main character, watches every little movement, discursive hint, or mm-hmm. anything at all that the people who come and visit her do, basically. She is- yeah, she's a very perceptive character. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we learn a lot through kind of her eyes. 
I also think having the day at the top of the chapter adds anticipation or like builds the suspense. Yes. Because it isn't a very fast-paced story. It's a lot of dialogue. They're talking about a lot of like philosophical things. And so the chapter headings almost build that anticipation like in the place of the dialogue because mm -hmm. you are counting down with them. And it starts off with like yeah. day one, day two, day three, and then it goes day 12. And then it's like day 30, day 58. Oh, You're getting yeah. closer and closer. And she's still going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how I'm going to escape. I would like to do this, but I also don't think it's possible. Like there's so much going on. And you know that at the end, she's going to die, like, whether she does it or not, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah, because like, she realized that she's not going yeah. out alive of that deal, because she's the, she's going to be mm -hmm. one of the few people that knows that the Emperor's soul has been forged, if she even yeah. is successful. So this is a countdown, countdown to her execution day. Yeah. And I love how she is faced with this impossible task and... The way that she approaches that, because when, when I was reading this for the first time, I was like, how is she going to do this? How is she going to emotionally and mentally deal with the pressure that she has to do this? There's no mm -hmm. like antecedent of something like that being done. This is, this is pretty much an impossible task. So the way that she approaches the thing is day by day, little by little. Yeah. Setting like literally hour by hour at that point, like Oh yeah, and having the doing mental it. breakdowns. <laughs> oh yeah. And going through them, leaving them behind. Uh that's an a very nice way to portray how to deal with a very pressurizing situation, a very difficult task to make. Even yeah, if you definitely. don't have a death countdown in your back <laughs> in the back of your head. So yeah, this story has very few characters. We have yeah. like, obviously the emperor who shows up like two minutes <laughs> or a paragraph or two, like- um, He's the there emperor. for like a few moments and then he's gone. Yeah, but he is there through another character. So yeah, we have the, the emperor who is named Ashravan. We have Gautone, which by the way, wonderful name, which I will absolutely stealing using my D&D campaigns because I just <laughs> love it. Gautone is amazing. And it's also a very nice character, so yeah. Uh, we also mm -hmm. have Shai, the main character. Frava, which is like kind of one of the arbiters, an antagonist. Yeah. yeah, I think Frava is um, technically Gautone's boss. Mm -hmm. And so she's kind of manipulating the court, doing a bit more of the politicking that she's, we see happen. I see her as Gautona, but evil. Pretty much. Yeah, this is definitely a very character-focused story, which mm -hmm. is part of why I like it so much. We talked about on our last episode how Brandon's character work is probably the best in his earliest books. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't have to focus on Cosmere implications and the plot going on like as a whole. True. And yeah. so his yeah. character work early on with Raythan, for example, and Elaintris, or some of my favorite, uh, uh, in uh, Ether of Night, or uh, Chris and Kenton in The White Sand Prose. Mm -hmm. I think that same kind of like character work shows here in Emperor's Soul because it's very, very internally focused and we get to know Shai really well. Mm -hmm. uh, the way she's so perceptive about people that she's managed to trick uh, Gautona by being genuine. Yeah. I think it's uh, really interesting and so we really get an insight into the way Shai thinks and who she is as a person. Mm -hmm. That also how it relates to her magic because that definitely colors how she sees the world. And I think that Brandon should get the chance to write more character-focused books like at some point. I know it's hard because he has so much cause we are to focus on, but I really hope that we can get uh, characters like this again. Yeah. Because I really like how he does it. I honestly want to see Shai again because she was just wonderful and I think that she has a lot of Cosmere potential but I don't know, it's it's not very yeah, she's, likely. <laughs> she's a very compelling character and like very interesting. I would love it if we got to see more of her but I do think that this ended with kind of like a finality to it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not sure that we'll be seeing more of her. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe we could get like a cameo or a mention of someone hinted to be shy. Um, yeah, even that Brandon, nice. for the longest time, he said he didn't want to do a sequel to Emperor's Soul because he was afraid of like ruining the story because it was so it had turned out so well. Yes, but he does say he has an idea, and that's like 
we might like see like a cameo in the Elaine Trish sequels. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. But that he isn't sure. It depends on how it turns out and how much time he has and yeah. all that. For like we we joke a lot about Brad like being like a Sander bot, but he still is human and he still has a lot to write. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So who knows if that will happen or not? There are other things that are more important. <laughs> cuff, cuff, nightblood. Oh my god. And oh my gosh. Uh, the yeah. um, uh, silver light novella, dust brigade, and all those things. So. Oh yeah, I yeah. mean. I have definitely decided to like keep in mind all of her different transformation, all of Shy's different transformation with her essence marks to be like paying attention whenever I read either Elantris Sequel or Future Stormlight books or anything <laughs> to see if I see someone who could potentially be her um, wearing one of her stamps and becoming something different doing different stuff. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see if that happens. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I did want to say, because we're talking about like his different novellas, that a lot of the novellas that we've seen previously for like his other works have been more focused on characters that we've already seen. Like um, Edge Dancer following Lyft, we have Don Shard following uh, Risen and Lopin, and a few other people. And so we see more like novellas following already kind of established characters that then build on it. Whereas this is just fully in like, yeah, I mean, technically it's Cell, but really like it is completely new like he just spun the globe and then went yeah we're gonna go this here now um and we're gonna deal with this random girl that's in jail like it's very different from elantris i was gonna say something but then i realized that's cosmere spoilers yeah uh. there's so many things that i've already written in the cosmere spoiler document just because there's <laughs> yeah, so many that's different gonna be an interesting episode. yeah there's so many different aspects of this story that reminds me of different cosmere books mm -hmm. like this really feels like a very good amalgamation of a lot of Brandon's different like writing styles and like ideas. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's a great introduction uh, yeah. to the Cosmere yeah. if you don't want to go with like the traditional ones and it's definitely shorter. I, I gave this book to my mom a yeah, while ago. I wanted to. Yeah, uh, to I'm you not too. a big fantasy reader. Yeah. I mean she read like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter but uh, but she really enjoyed them for her soul. Nice. I think she gave it like a four out, out of five on a Goodreads. And she said that it was, like, really interesting, but that she was also kind of confused with the magic system. That's fair. Yeah, I do think that this is definitely a, a book where I would recommend people start. I know that, like, I started with Elantris, and I think that's still an okay starting point. But just reading this and seeing how many different things, I'd say, oh, I see that in the Stormlight. Oh, I see that in Warbreaker. Like, I see that in Elantris. Like, there's so many different just little pieces where it's like, oh, that feels so similar to this. And yet it's in a completely new book and like new area. It's a really nice way to kind of sample different aspects of Brandon's writing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that like recommendations like should depend on like the person you're recommending them to. Mm -hmm. Like like we're going into this reading order and I think it's a great reading order. But also like some people are gonna like like for example, if you meet a scientist, you're probably gonna recommend Mistborn first because of the strong like physics aspect it has. Or if you meet like someone who's more into politics, it can recommend Elantris or Warbreaker. And so it really depends on the person. Yeah. And there really is kind of something for everyone. Oh yeah, and then we discussed this a little bit before the episode, but if you again have listened to our previous episode with Drew, <laughs> we are kind of seeing a new government style here where previously we were talking with Drew about how Brandon kind of early on wanted seemed to want to have this discussion about like capitalism versus socialism through the way that Raiden's father rules versus the way that the Elantrians used to rule and kind of this free market capitalism that really puts the throne in danger anytime there is an economic issue and the way that the Elantrians just provided for everyone. And so there's this really small mention early on in the book where Shai goes, oh, he must have just tested into his position based off of his robes and the fact that he was like really new and just the way that he was acting. And so that at least gave me the vibe that this was at least partially a meritocracy. And so I thought it was interesting, kind of showed some growth with Brandon where like he's gone from just like capitalism versus socialism to like, well, let's kind of bring some more things in here and see how it all interacts. Mm -hmm. And so I was curious what you guys thought about the use of that here. Yeah, I I didn't have time to reread uh, Emperor Soul for this, but I 
do remember like getting that sense from it and like sure there's an emperor but also like the system of like the um, of the arbiters and his advisors i don't like sure you can say okay like parliamentary monarchy or whatever Mm -hmm. but like it did give me that vibe that uh, these people had gotten there not because power and position but because in a way they deserved it and that again they're like by studying and their like own efforts then just because so like you can definitely feel that like undertone in the book and it's far more nuanced than uh Elantris. and you see yeah. like things like this yeah. in like stormlight as well mm-hmm. and so brandon has definitely gotten better at that yeah every time i read a Randerson book i don't know why but my mind keeps like connecting stuff that I see as these resources that I mentioned before that he uses like several times through his different books and stories but every time he uses a resource that he's used before he does it in a different way so mm-hmm. this is not the first time as I said that we are seeing a court and the subterfuge and the politics and even the meritocracy aspect yeah I can think about with this political system I can think of similarities with Taravangian and his council uh, made up by his friend. Um, I can think of these similarities with the God King and the whole courts of gods that we see in Warbreaker, but Mm -hmm. they are all similar but still different because clearly Taravangian as the central figure of like a country, being the king of Carbrand, he is not as passive politically Mm -hmm. as this emperor that we see here. So I see all of these similarities and yeah, I think that Brandon is getting better and better at writing the conflicts inherent to people trying to rule each other. And yeah, yeah, the meritocracy is something that has shown up in his books before, in the Aster culture, in Stormlight, for example. And I think it's much better explored in there. But Mm -hmm. yeah, we we see the, as as Jay said, we see the undertones in here. And we see how competitive these people is, how eager they are for power. And as pretty much every person who has power, how eager they are to keep having the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I think it was really interesting how Brandon kind of compares the different ways that the governing system works in like Elantris, um, not Elantris, Arulan. Um, That's the place I'm trying to think of. Where, like, as we're saying earlier, the king there is really unstable. Like, he is fully relying on his own economic prosperity. And then we kind of get this at one point where Shai is reading the emperor's diaries and trying to figure out, like where he went wrong sort of thing like where did this man who wanted to change things just stop and give up and she's talking about how like he's not lazy it's just that he's part of this system that just keeps going that he's being like steamrolled by this system Mm. and that like it's so stable that it's almost bad like there's no way to change it because it is just so solid and so i thought it was really interesting to see how that how different that is from Arulan, where like things are so like constantly changing and if the king wants to change things he could literally say it and it would be done but he also then has to deal with like being in danger all the time and having to be like super paranoid and like not trusting anyone and so i just thought it was really interesting where like a lot of this is not said but it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like hinted at as an undertone Yes. And so I really enjoyed that because I'm I'm a big nerd whenever it comes to like governments and socioeconomic systems. <laughs> so like this was just perfect to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I admire how all of this is built in so little because we all learn this basically by reading a very short piece of the notes that this emperor had that Shai, the main character, is reading. So yeah. it's absolutely deserving yeah. of every reward it got and it will get in mm-hmm. the future because you understand the, the mechanics of the world so well by just yeah. getting a glimpse into the minds of the people, which is basically the message of this story. This story is about understanding people and mm-hmm. if you are able to understand people, you are able to understand the society in which you are in, the society that these people comes from and the way that everything works. Just 
by looking at the heads of the people and it's it's a very beautiful message because we tend to think that there's like this huge distance between the mind of one single person and the complex pattern that a whole society makes with all of the things that are crossed and the power relationships and everything and this story really shows you that you can get a glimpse and you can make important conclusions about that complex thing just by paying attention to the way that someone behaves and taking into account their context mm -hmm. definitely so once again brandon is a good writer yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's definitely improved yeah kind of going off what elf said is that this is a lot more subtle than it was in Elantris, mm. where that was really kind of in your face because it was his first book. And he was like, I want to make sure people get this. And I think the more that he's grown as a writer, the more he kind of trusts his readers to kind of figure things out for themselves and to not mm -hmm. have to be so like in your face about things. Yeah, I mean, this was published, I don't know when this was written, but it was published in 2012. Yeah, 2012 wow. is just around the time he was writing The Wheel of Time, which That's right. mm -hmm. clearly uh -huh. uh, had an influence. The Wheel of Time talked so much, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. You can see the change like, on its own like just reading Brandon's books, but once you get to those Wheel of Time books, like, you can see how it happened and exactly what types of things Brandon learned from writing The Wheel of Time. Mm -hmm. One of them being definitely character voice. Yeah, that's hard to do, and Jordan was a master at it, and Brandon definitely learned from that. I say yes, really and I the way it's so <laughs> internally focused. Yeah. yeah. I know you haven't yeah. got it. Yet, uh, but, but I believe, believe you. me, it's gonna be amazing. I believe you. And yeah. Oh, yeah, we're gonna have so much to talk about whenever we've all finished. Yes. <laughs> but Elantris was published, um, if I'm not wrong, on in 2006. I, I think, think so, either 2005, 2006. But it was written even before that, mm -hmm. if I remember right. So yeah, it's not such a long period of time between Elantris and Emperor Soul, but there are a lot of books that Randon wrote between these two stories. Yeah. Because if you think in some other authors, like timescales, six years is not so much, but if you count how many words he has had to improve his style, then oh, you can yeah. easily understand these improvements. No, definitely. And I did think it was interesting because, like, again, I'm used to whenever we have the world kind of, like, we're only getting one perspective from, like, a small area in the world, they don't have a lot of contact with the other areas. Like in Mistborn, the North and South Poles, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but here, like, I kind of expected them to be very separated as well. And then Shy goes, oh, yeah, this makes as much sense as, like, a Svordish book to me or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, that sounds so familiar and I had to go pull up, like, my Elantris map and be like, okay, no, that's where um, Serini's cousin went to college. So, like, mm -hmm. yeah. there is definitely contact here. It's just that, like, Arlon and, like, Teod are very isolated, I think, like, very insulated where they are. Yeah, it's... So, mm -hmm. Cell, we'll talk about this when we talk about the essay next month. Great. Cell is a big, big planet. It's bigger than Earth is. And so there are these great empires. And still, like, we still have no idea what the third of them is. Hmm. Because we have Fjordal, like, in the same region as Aralon and Teod. So yeah. let's count that in there. And we have the Rose Empire. And we're missing a third one, which is presumably the third sequel. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So yeah, it was just really interesting to see that there was trade there, and I had written down in my notes, like, we could be seeing Fjordan, um, like, religious Gjorns show up, and then at the very end you have a Gjorn, and so it was just mm -hmm. like, oh gosh, is there gonna be a conflict here? Like, what's gonna happen? Mm -hmm. It really kind of sets up this idea. Yeah, I don't know if they directly mention, because this is said a uh, couple of years, I don't remember exactly the timeline, after the end of Elantris. Mm. And so I don't know if they mention that like directly or if it's just a wob because I didn't uh, read Emperor so for this episode I didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. But like we do like know that they are aware of that change. Oh, okay. And so I find it really interesting how like these three big empires are like isolated in a way mm -hmm. because like one of them hasn't like gobbled up the other. Yeah, because you'd think with them all calling themselves empires <laughs> that there would be like one empire, but no, there's like at least three of them. Yeah, and it's like a really like interesting economy and that's mm -hmm. probably because of the size of the planet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about this more next month because Chris talks about this in her essay, so. Yeah, this is 
fascinating. I can't wait to learn more. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the main magic system. Yeah, I'm gonna let you guys talk about this one because I am still a little <laughs> confused. <laughs> oh, really? Like, it's very uh, interesting, but it's it's very different from a lot of things that we've seen previously, I'd say. And yet it works on the same principles. Yeah. That, oh, that's gonna be hard to talk around. So we have two basic uh, magic systems presented here, forgery and blood sealing, right? Mm-hmm. God, Cell has so many magic systems, and so know, forgery- we need like a spreadsheet to keep track of all of them. Yeah, forgery works by making these stamps on this like special stone, which suspicious, I have- there are theories about what that stone oh, is. Oh yeah, how it there works, are like theory. Other cosmic yeah. worlds and what's not. And so you carve like these stamps into the stone, and it, like the shapes of the stamps are also like based on the land, on the geography of the Mindponim. Uh, the Maipan region of the Rose Empire, which is where forgery is from. And these, like, stamps have the ability to, like, change the history of an object so that it will look differently. And so, Shai <laughs> explains it uh, pretty well. And she talks about its connections with the realms, mm-hmm. and all capitalized, which is important. But how she's, like, literally changing the way the... Like, she's convincing the object to change based on the way it thinks about itself. She's brainwashing stuff to think that they lived a different life, as in changing the story of the object, and that yeah, has the, the history. That has the effect of actually changing the object because her brainwash is so strong that it pierces reality in three different levels: <laughs> the cognitive, the physical, and the spiritual. Spiritual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I brought up the description on the copper mind because I think this is the easiest way to explain it. Okay. So it says, Forgery is the manifestation of investiture on cell that is powered by the door. Much like Aeondor, Dakor, and other known magical systems used elsewhere on cell, forgery involves shaping a specific form in order to evoke some sort of extra-normal event. There are many types of forgery that are explored in Emperor's Soul, but all seem to involve the carving of a sort of stamp and the application of the ink to the stamp, and then applying a mark until the desired object or person. One appears to need an extraordinary amount of knowledge on the background and composition of the object or person being forged in order to make the stamp affect a target for an extended period of time. Therefore, forgers probably need to be scholars and researchers as well as talented artisans, and it's a cousin system to blood sealing. So, it's really fascinating system especially like its connection to things like in our world and like brandon's inspiration for the system from his uh, trips in asia which he mentioned in the postscript that's in arcanum unbounded because mm-hmm. like the stamps on like objects like to mark them is a real thing and so brandon being brandon of course he turned this into a magic system and he started thinking about like how it could fit into a, the, like, basic cosmic mechanics, and also, mm. like, the fact that it aligned very well with uh, the way Celis ma- magics already work. Yeah. Mm. Which I, I'm very interested to see in the sequels, because I feel like Cell's magic systems and the way that it works can really lead to a lot more conflict than other planets' magic systems because of how localized it is. And it allows you to kind of, like, demonize people along with their magic system oh because like i don't know i feel like it encourages more like racism and stuff amongst them because like you see a lot of issues with like the maypon people don't get along with the blood sealers and like where they come from and so there's this like stuff there there's like the striders are being elevated in society and so by ranking the magic systems you are also in turn then ranking the people, whereas we don't see that a lot in other places because the magic systems are more kind of open opportunity, basically. Like, they're more open to everyone. Open yeah, to everyone. unless, well, Mistborn, right? Like, you need the genetic... Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. But it's not something that, like... Because I think it's part of the fact that there are so many magic systems on cell. Yeah. I don't know if we're counting potions or not. That's a whole thing. But we have blood sealing, we have forgery, we have Aeondor, we have Dakor, uh, we have Cheshan, and that's already five, and who knows what's going on with the potions, and who knows what else there is on that third continent. So, mm-hmm. and like, the only one we've 
kind of explored, well, Forgery and Eondora, and we still don't even know so much about them. So this definitely creates a, a lot of uh, potential for uh, the sequels. Yeah. Which yeah. is also related to Christian's questions, though. We answered it already, uh, he said. Uh, do you all think we'll see the magic system in Emperor Soul appear in other Elantra sequels? So. Oh yeah, I don't... I hope so. I yeah. I, and I yeah. think we will. Mm-hmm. I don't see Brandon really leaving such an interesting magic system alone. I just, I think it's too interesting to just kind of sit on the shelf. And like, we also have the existence of the Moon Scepter, which uh, mm-hmm. the Imperial Fool still not gonna get too much yeah, into which that. which we have like no information on there. That's just like a really casually mentioned thing. Oh, wait a second. Let's oh, wait. Yeah, let's let, let, let me bring up the art of that uh, that was commissioned for the copper mine because it's beautiful. Yeah, um, um, so we're, we all agree that the Imperial Fool is Hoid, right? I mean, you read that title yeah. and you are like, yep, Hoid? <laughs> you read what this character did and you are like, definitely Hoid. <laughs> so we'll definitely talk about what in the world he was doing next episode. Because there is a deleted scene uh, from the beginning of Emperor's Soul that Brandon cut out, but it's with some slight alterations, is technically still canon. Um, oh. So... Well, and that's happened prior to the prologue of Emperor's Soul, like just before, because like she mentioned that she had a conversation with the Imperial Fool. And so it's quite interesting, mm. and we'll talk about that next mm. time. But my point was, uh, the Moon Scepter works as kind of a Rosetta Stone for the magic systems of Cell, which is oh. really, really interesting, considering who wanted to get access to it. And yeah. I really hope we find out more. The Moon Scepter is kind of a Rosetta Stone, but for the magic yeah, system. which is terrifying. Oh, like, why would the Imperial yeah, if, Fool like, want if that? If the wrong people get their hands on it, it is terrifying, because the solar systems have the like lock that they're localized because of the craziness going on with the door. Again, we'll talk about it next episode. Mm-hmm. But if you take that out... They are ridiculously powerful. Mm-hmm. They are, and because they are so versatile, mostly like they don't have this very specific like set of like uses like surges do. Even if you can like be creative and whatnot, the surges are like very specific. Yeah. Same as allomancy and ferrochemy and all these other systems. Whereas imagine the being like an Elantrian are very, forger. Very versatile. Exactly. Like it's... And that's the point I always bring up every time someone is like, who would win in a fight? Kelsia or Kaladin? And it's like, get a line an Elantrian in their home territory. Oh, yeah. And You're they screwed. are ridiculously powerful. Mm-hmm. Because like, sure, they need like time to like draw the things, but as someone that's skilled, they will crush an Alamancer mm-hmm. or a Surge Binder. Yeah, definitely. I do want, like, we've talked about forging a bit, and it's the magic system we most know about, but I do want to talk about blood sealing before we move on to philosophy. It's an interesting system, and oh, yeah. also because Cal will kill us if we don't talk about blood sealing. <laughs> Cal, our little edgy host. <laughs> yeah. It's not the same without um, him. <laughs> yeah, and I can say that because he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> oh. uh, so... Like, similar to necromancy in some ways. Oh, this is making me think of a crossover with Dresden. Oh my god. Oh, that would be interesting. Anyway, it uses stamps similar to forgers, but rather than ink, it's with blood. And so they can also, like, create these things called skeletals that are, like, made of, like, bones. Basically, undead construct, D&D-wise. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah, I don't know D&D, but yeah. Um, um, I think it's interesting that, well, for regular not creepy necromantic forgery, you have to pay attention to what the materials you use are. I mean, it's not the same to use um, a seal made of this soul stone as wood or something else. And you have to use... Um, certain inks, there's something that I read mm-hmm. on the copper mind about the forgery being more powerful if the colors of the ink are um, more brilliant and, and bright. Um, we will discuss all of this in the, fo- in the future episode with all the Cosmere connections, but the thing is there's com- a completely different deal going on when you use blood, because that's mm-hmm. like a very like, it's a piece of the human body that goes through all of it that is moving 
as long as the as the human person is alive and it definitely creates a different effect when you use it for a stamp for a soul stamp so first of all yeah creepy i mean (laughs) you have someone coming and putting a stamp of blood in your arm that's what happened to shy Um, yeah disgusting horrible creepy and undesirable I mean, like, even if it's, like, your own blood, because that's what yeah. it needs, right? And the effects, I think the, that, well, it's it's a very common usage of the blood element and the bone and the necromancy to give it a per- perverse and creepy effect, but... Yeah, and I'm sure it can be more versatile, but we haven't seen those other uses. Right, but mm-hmm. the thing is that bad, bad stuff happen if you are blood-sealed and go against whatever the seal wants you to do. So this is a potentially dangerous tool or resource to use. Even the characters in this story say that they are recruiting to hire this guy, but he is the best one they have and they trust him and he's effective. So this also also shows that they are very desperate Mm -hmm. and that they they are going to they're being inescrupulous in their attempt of bringing back this emperor because they want to make sure that this girl is not going to reveal them. They want to keep her very well controlled. Yeah. Um, I don't want to see this magic system in a, in a, in other in another different <laughs> Cosmere world because that would be scary. I hope it doesn't work in different planets, but if it does... I don't think so, considering the way uh, solar systems work. Yeah, I definitely don't want to see that becoming more common. I like that the little action that we get in this story involves the undead construct. Constructs following Shai in the palace and being very deadly. Proving themselves being very yeah, deadly. I don't know if these are scarier than heat allergic constructs or not. Yeah, they're definitely yeah, that's definitely all scary. It's just making me think of like all the bone constructs that we get in Gideon the Ninth and stuff like that. Because there's That's a what lot I thought of you were stuff. Gonna say. Yeah, it's very kind of similar to that. So if you like bad women fighting like <laughs> bone constructs, check it out. And I will be cutting that curse word out because I just remembered that we are a family-friendly podcast. But yeah, so is it, honestly, there's not much to say with blood sealing because we don't know much. <laughs> I think we've gotten through most of it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm really curious to learn more, and I also don't want to learn more because it's sure <laughs> to be really creepy. Yeah, we'll have to have like once we know more, like a comparison episode where like which is creepier, hemallergy or blood sealing? I think hemallergy always. Wins. The most we'll just terrifying. go through it and then we'll go to bed. We'll see who has the most nightmares about what. And then we will regroup in the morning and tally up the votes. <laughs> oh, just to wait until we get to some parts of the Wheel of Time because mm. they are terrifying. Particularly Crown of Swords and Towers oh my of Midnight. Straight up horror sequences. But I knew yes. were coming and they still haunted my nightmares. Mama mia. This is definitely making me be like, do I want to finish Lord of Chaos right now? <laughs> if that's what's <laughs> waiting for me? Yes, you want to. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and get on to the philosophy before we run too much longer. Yes. So a lot of the philosophical things are also related to our listener questions so i think we can ask those first and then check to see which ones we haven't covered yes definitely so already ukla the early on the 17th shard asked would have shy made the right choice if she had sealed away her mind like using the last the, the like, way out way out essence the mark. way out thank you essence mark mm-hmm. and is it right for her to do so and what kind of emotional state would she end up in uh, to use that stamp hmm. i don't think she'd be in a good emotional state i think we see how important a like having a history is to an object like or a soul that to just completely remove that history I think would leave you in a state of kind of like the emperor at the beginning of the book. Yeah, like even like what she says of like the old like grandfather figure and uh, those kinds of things that she mentions to Gautona at the end. Mm -hmm. Like even having a history, but a history that's completely separated from her culture and all that. Like sure, she wouldn't know she had this other history other than the one she created for herself. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that would also be like terribly like isolating. Oh, definitely. Uh, because you wouldn't know anyone as yourself, and you'd be on your own. And I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I don't think it's a question of really, is it morally right for her to do so? I just don't think it would be healthy. Well, but I have She can do to... what she wants, but... I have two mm -hmm. points to add to this discussion. The first one is, this question resonates in my head with the whole concept of being stilled in the Wheel of mm. Time, which basically means that someone who has access to the main magic system is mm -hmm. cut out from that forever, irreversibly, and for good. I mean, there's no going back. You, you are born able to use the magic and they can do something to you that makes you unable forever and there's no way Yeah. Back. And the people who are still, like, uh, this isn't very much border, so I, th I think we're fine. We're being very vague. Yeah. The people who are still feel this, like, longing, like, mm -hmm. in them. They need to find a new sense of purpose to be able to continue living. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they will become very depressed and... And they would die or kill themselves. They Names. end up dying in many cases. Yeah. Like, they talk about, like, with all the false dragons in history. They lose the will uh, that they managed to still. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so they need to find a new purpose in life. And so I definitely agree with you that it, it would be similar in mm -hmm. a way because even though she, I wouldn't be aware of her previous history, it would still be like. I still think there'd be that longing for something there. Something. Mm -hmm. But there's a but in here. This story also presents ourselves with the discussion of whether it's right or wrong for an artist to decide to destruct, destruct their creation. So if Shai were to take this way out and put this essence mark on herself, it could be very similar to what Gautona did with her notes by throwing them into the flames, because she would be like destroying and erasing her mind, which is kind of her work of art. I mean, it's not a creation of herself, her, her art, but it is a creation of herself, her ability to to forge and all the years she studied and she would be yeah. like thrown to the knowledge. flames all the other essence marks because she has several and if she uses this mm -hmm. one the way out she will not be able to go back to the other ones she will lose for real and forever the ability to forge so she will not be able to do that ever again so i think that if she does something that makes her feel like she has fulfilled her destiny and her reason to live, she could happily take this path of throwing her art to the fire and not being able to forge ever again. But I worry that if she ever decides to go to that, what if she has something that she cannot explain that makes her feel sad, like that makes her feel like she is going through loss and what if she loses the willingness to live such as someone who has been still in the wheel of time context so those are the two possibilities that i have in my head but i really like that the way out is very reminiscent of this thing of destroying the art you created once you decide it's done because yeah there's also another thing that is like destroyed. Shai is hired by this painter, by this artist, to create a forge of one very important piece of art, kind of like a Joconda version, but in this world. Um, she creates the forge, she replaces the original with a forgery, and she destroys the original. But mm -hmm. she does that because the creator asked her to do that. So we have that, we have Gautona throwing to the fire her notes, and we have the way out. I think that's like, sorry, three different ways to to set up the same discussion. And I think yeah, that... definitely. No, 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 I'm going to wait for the question. Because who is the owner of the art? Is it the world? Is it the artist? That's a difficult mm -hmm. question. Yeah, and you start getting into like the concept of death of the author, mm. where can the author really determine the interpretations people have of their art? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, are they the owner of the art anymore? And, and so it's this really interesting dichotomy because like, I don't believe in complete death of the author, right? The author is always going to have an intention and it is going to be important to like take into account the context in which something was written, right? Like you can't divorce the Wheel of Time or the Black Company from the fact that both Robert Jordan and Glenn Cook went to Vietnam and the things that they experienced mm -hmm. over there really shaped their fiction. And you can see it, yeah. the ending of Lord of Chaos, perfect example of 
the way Vietnam uh, shaped Robert Jordan. There are a ton of scenes in the Black Company that, well, the, all of the Black Company, honestly, because it's military fantasy, is a great example. The way mm-hmm. Vietnam uh, shaped Glenn Cook. And so you can't divorce a book from its context like that. But also, to a certain extent, it's also like your interpretations of the characters and like the text itself. And so, like, there are cases where you can like the books, but not the author, and like what the author has said. I think you probably know what example I'm referring to there. <laughs> uh, and and so it's this really interesting uh, dichotomy. And I think there is this quote from The Way of Kings that I really love, and that it definitely applies mm. here. That uh, a story hasn't lived until it's been imagined in someone's mind. And there's this really integral part of the story, which is the reader, the audience, if it's like told orally. And they are a mm-hmm. part of the process of completing a story because they receive it, they have their own interpretations, they imagine it. They imagine the characters doing what the text says and the way they look. And each person has a slightly different interpretation of the book and text and art in general. But also, you can't just divorce it from its content. So I definitely think this is a really, really interesting question to ask. We have like a list of topics that this novella triggers the discussion for. These are deep, interesting topics that are debated between the characters and I don't know your opinion, but actually made me think a lot about my own ideas. The destruction of a piece of art by its author is one of these is one of these topics. And mm-hmm. connected to that, uh, as I mentioned, the question of who is the owner of a piece of art that has transcended the line of fame and relevance and celebration by a bigger audience like is the Gioconda really a piece of art that belongs to Leonardo da Vinci or is it a thing that's that belongs to the whole human civilization throughout time is the author right to decide the fate of of his creation and not being an artist this is a a whole new world to to think about and to discover like that these questions actually exist yeah, it's a really complicated uh, decision, and I think it doesn't really have an answer, like many uh, oh, no. questions in philosophy. It's very subjective. It's, and it's very subjective. But I do think it's a very interesting question that Emperor Sol brings up, which brings us to many other interesting questions. Oh my gosh, so many. So, Thainbridge, also on the 17th shard, asks, Big question, but is it ethical for Shai to change Ashravan's personality with her soul stamp to nudge him in a certain direction? Mm. I mean, that gets down into the whole thing of, like, is that really him in the first place? So, like, is it moral to change him? Because at that point, she's kind of creating a personality wholesale based off of, like, some information that she has. And so is she really changing something if she's creating it in the first place? She can't change him a lot, because if she changes him in a radical way, the soul stamp will not yeah. stick. So, yeah, this, like, oh my god, has a lot to do with the discussions around cognitive shadows, which I'm gonna leave at a mention, but oh my gosh. definitely mm-hmm. need to talk about the next time. I feel like we're saying this a lot this episode. And how, like, I mean, this is, is just such really a Cosmere relevant Yeah, it thing. is. Like, is it really that person? Is it a copy of that person? Um, mm-hmm. And, like, different people say different things, and depending also on the type of cognitive shadow. And there's a whole lot of things that are in this discussion. And Brandon said, that's not a question that will be answered. Oh, different cosmic, I love it when he does different that. Different scholars uh, have different interpretations, just like we do. And it's something that's, like, constantly debated in places like Silverlight. And he doesn't really want to answer it. It's something that he wants to, like, leave open to interpretation and... Well, I mean, I can... I can definitely say that I have thought a lot more about the question of Ashravan really being himself or him being a copy of fake after the soul stamp business because as a science student, particularly a chemistry student, I have obviously studied the very... The very silly genetical basis of clonation. Yeah, we have had this discussion about clonation, whether the person is the same, the creature is the same, Mm -hmm. the being is the same or not. This is definitely my own opinion, but I have thought a lot about it and I don't think that you can recreate the person, whether you do it um, in real life with a genetic clone or a genetic copy or if you do is do this in this fictional cosmere um context we're getting deep here 
Yeah, but yeah. I mean, well, this story is actually about the essence of things being made mm-hmm. up by their history. So if you change the history of an object in this, in this fictional world, you change the way that thing actually is. Um, mm-hmm. If you change the history of a person, that definitely is going to affect the way that person is. So you can never have, uh, the same way that you can never have to equal 100% the same human being out of two different people, you can't even if you clone them because they are going to go through different stuff inherently mm-hmm. because of the way of the time arrow of entropy works. Um, yeah, it's kind of nature versus nurture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also... It's interesting because like people change as they go on. Like they're mm-hmm. not always the same people like throughout their lifetime, and mm-hmm. so that also comes into this uh, debate. It's like, yeah. well, yeah. to what point? Like, is this like a plausible change someone could have gone through? And also, all well, the self steps we to take if different enough. And yeah, there's a lot that goes into this, but it's definitely a very interesting question to ask. One that still I don't think has an answer. Right, and the question of whether it's ethical or not for shy to change Ashravan personality with a soul stamp. I think that the question that is like behind this question that this person made is, is it ethical for her to forge his soul? Because we know that she can, I mean, if his favorite color was blue, she cannot make the stamp stay and make the color, his favorite color be green now. I mean, she has to leave some stuff the way they were in order for Mm -hmm. the, the whole thing to work. It's obviously impossible to create this forgery without putting a little bit of yourself, without putting a little bit of the, I'm gonna go ahead and say artist, into the creation. So is it ethical for her to do this? Because she has to know she's not going to create the same one. She's going to create like a reflection and a reflection that's going to be influenced by the state she was in when she made the story the stamp and the things she had to leave when she made the stamp is it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the same if she were given 10 years to create the, the soul stamp she was given 10 day not uh, sorry uh, 100 days not 10 years so yeah. and i mean that's something that she says to gautona is that like he's not going to be the same you're doing this out of love for him but you have to understand that like this is not the same person coming back mm-hmm. like i'll do my best but it's just there's yeah. no way it will happen yeah mm-hmm. which like, leads into our next question which we've discussed a lot also by ari ukla early on the 17th right is ashraven really himself anymore or is he a copy a fake now he's mm. not a fake he's his own self and he's in a new Ashravan, he's not the same as before, but he's himself. He's not a copy, he's not a fake, he is real, but he is Ashravan, the soul stamped Ashravan, not the Ashravan that was born out of his parents. Mm-hmm. I think he's something new, like he's not a fake, mm-hmm. he is his own yeah. thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, whether yeah, it's ethical or not to do it, well... Oh, that that's something for another day, because <laughs> I think we'd be here for about five more hours at yeah. least discussing <laughs> that. I think uh, I'm going to close with this reflection or let's say thought. Mm-hmm. It's not a question that has an absolute answer such as yes or no. Yes, it was ethic. No, it wasn't ethic. The thing is, when are you answering this? Um, mm. Yeah, think about when are you answer- answering this? Because a lot of these questions have an answer at that at a certain time and after several years with perspective the answer changes so i take that into account that's my final thought on that question <laughs> so whoever you are um stainbridge i am sorry if i'm not saying your name or your avatar name right thank you for that question it was an awesome one yeah definitely yeah mm-hmm. all these were great and it's also it that got them like on a really short notice. I was like, oh, hey, I should ask the people on the shard. Uh, they might have uh, great questions too, which mm-hmm. sometimes I forget to do. <laughs> and they definitely did. Well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And finally, one that is not so philosophical, thank goodness. That's a great <laughs> question uh, from Kip Tan on the Legendarium server. What change would you have made in the history of an object in your life? I love that question. That's so awesome. Oh gosh. Do we want to do like serious or funny answers? I think so. Because like, <laughs> right now I'd say um, I'd change the history of my car's tires to not need to be replaced. Because <laughs> like I can't drive anywhere right now and it's getting a bit frustrating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but serious. 
Oh gosh, I have a necklace that I got on like one of my first trips, like that I can really remember to South Africa. Mm-hmm. And like I bought it with my cousins and everything and wore it for like two years. And then one day I was really upset, like just a few years ago, and ended up knocking it off of the like countertop. Mm-hmm. And it was like a clay pendant and it snapped in half. And so I'd probably change the history to just move it like closer to something else so it doesn't <laughs> get knocked to the floor. Because that was a really hard thing where it was like, yeah, I got to let this go. Because like, it meant a lot, but I still have those memories sort of thing. Oh my, I also thought of a piece of jewelry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, my boyfriend gave me a few years ago um, this bracelet that has like little beads. And each bead is made of a different kind of stone and has a different look. And each of these, these beads, they look like, or they are like... A reference to one of the planets that we have in the solar system so oh, cool. um, it's yeah. it's such a cute uh, gift because it means when you wear the bracelet and your arm is like in the center of that bracelet it means like the whole solar system is around you so you are kind yeah. of like the Sun and he he had like a very sweet intention of you are the Sun of my life and you like Aww. space and astronomy so much so it's a that perfect is so gift. cute it's it was an awesome gift and that bracelet oh i actually have it here well that bracelet was not made by um it didn't have in the backbone of it the bits were not inserted in a metal chain they were inserted in a let's say a rope um oh, in a little yeah. piece of thread so here you have it um i'm showing it to the girls and this thing it got broken when i was walking in the street because it just pluff it just got broken oh. and all the beads exploded and i lost so many of them i was only able to keep a few so i would really like to change this remaining rest of the bracelet into a more durable bracelet because now i have the remains as decoration for my pen drive <laughs> to like give it a use so i want that bracelet back and i want it yeah. to be more um, sturdy yeah definitely yeah, well, uh, yours are like super like meaningful and when i saw this question before i was like not sure someone's suggestion like i changed some of my books so that they're like Science first edition copies, which would be fun. Oh. Uh, that it, it certainly would be fun. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I don't know. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard question. It is a hard question. Cause... Like you think it's an easy question, and then you start thinking about it, and it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, because we don't have like this power like Shy does, so like this isn't something that we think about. It's just kind of like, oh, well, that happened, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you move on. Hmm. And so, like, having to be like, oh, well, if you had the power to change it, like, that opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Yeah. But I love that question. Thank you, Kipton. You always make awesome questions. Yeah, Kipton's questions are great. And now I'm going to be thinking all the time about how I would change the history of every object that I own. Oh my gosh. Like, my matte thermos flask, I would change it so that it can, like, can keep temperature better for a longer time and yeah so you can follow us and contact us in all our social media the links are always in the show notes uh join the discord we have a lot of fun there tell us your feedback ask us your questions we'd uh, love to hear your thoughts uh, listener questions are great we always enjoy them if you enjoyed the show uh please support us on ko-fi if you can of course the link is below and if you can't, uh, we'd love it if you'd give us a five-star review on iTunes. Make sure to share the podcast with other Brandons and... Oh my god. <laughs> Branderson. <laughs> other... <laughs> it always getting into your head. I will not stop until Branderson. Anyway. He will refer to himself as Branderson one day, and I will be fulfilled as a human Other Brandon Sanders and fans, oh you know. Gosh. And uh, anyone you want to introduce to the series, we know how hard it can be to try and to explain all of this to someone you without overwhelming them. I certainly went through mm-hmm. that when my mom read Emperor Soul. And mm, this isn't yeah. even getting yes. all the calmer mechanics. Uh-huh. And thanks for listening, and remember, journey before destination. Yes, Bye. goodbye.